0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Is
1: from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a war horse. Oops humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to shining sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
0: A reading from the Gospel of Luke nineteen twenty-eight to 40 And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The word of the Lord.
1: And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is the presence of God made present, and we miss it because of his goodness. We miss him because of his goodness, Whenever you read the Bible, especially one of the Gospels, especially at the end of one of the Gospels like we're in now, it's good to know the portrait that that Gospel author has been painting. And Luke has been painting a very elaborate tapestry with his words about who Jesus is and what it means for him to enter Jerusalem at the end of his life. When we first see Jesus in Luke's Gospel, he's a child. He's an infant. And he's brought into the temple. Everybody say temple. And when he's brought into the temple, temple, temple just made that up. When he's brought in, Simeon and Anna hold him and they prophesy. And they say, now I can close my eyes and go to sleep for I have seen the salvation of Israel. And he's holding an infant. And nobody gets it. Because for the rest of Jesus' life, nobody is acting like they believe or even heard about what Simeon said. Why? Because he's so good. He shows up in such a small way to fit into our life. His goodness is why we miss him. When he's 12, in Luke's gospel, Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. Everybody say temple. Because they're going to, he's going to have his Bemitzvah, mitzvah, so to speak. And they leave assuming he was with them, and turns out he wasn't with them. Why did they leave him? Because of his goodness. Because no parent expects their child to want to stay at church. They're like, surely he couldn't still be there. He didn't even want to go. Then after three days, that's how sure they were that he wasn't in the temple. That'd be like me leaving here, us not knowing where Sophia is for three days, looking everywhere because she couldn't possibly be in church. And when they walk in, he says to them, how did you miss it? How do you not know that I'm made to be about my father's business? He's so good, we miss it. Then when he's tempted... Satan wants him to miss himself because of his own goodness. And Satan takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he wants Jesus to misunderstand his relationship with the temple. He wants Jesus to miss his relationship with the temple. And how does he do it? He says to him, I'm going to use your goodness against you. Jump off the temple, and when your angels save you, everyone will know that you're a savior. And he tries to get Jesus to miss himself by using his own goodness against Jesus. And Jesus doesn't bite. He says, it's not going to be me being thrown down from the temple and God bearing me up on angels' wings. It's going to be me descending into hell itself dead and God saving me that people are going to know who I am. And Jesus doesn't miss it. And now he's riding into Jerusalem. So the first point of today is that we don't miss God because we're bad or he's bad. We miss God because he's so good we don't expect to see goodness where goodness really should be. We're surprised when goodness is where it's supposed to be. When I lose my keys, I always lose them the worst when they are where they're supposed to be. Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually put them back this time. Like, that's when we lose stuff. We don't expect things to be where they're supposed to be. Sometimes the devil uses our goodness against us. Does everybody know who Jacqueline Dandriano is? Raise your hand, Jacqueline, just so everybody knows who you are. My lovely, amazing wife of almost 12 years. Stop clapping for her. The devil used her. The devil used her this week. She's the minister of dark magic at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and she overcame people's sensibilities and she used them against me. I have been undefeated at April Fools' jokes. <laughs> Rob, I've been undefeated 18 and 0 patriots. 07. I've been undefeated until this year. I get a phone, I get a text message from Ian Zrodlowski. Does everybody know who Ian Zrodlowski is? Raise your hand up there. You're not the devil, but you need to ask yourself why you could have been used by her. (laughs) Ian is in the city doing freelance work because he is in demand everywhere. And he texts me at 1 a.m. It's now Sunday morning, April Fool's Day. I thought Stuart Walker's birthday would be the biggest April Fool's joke I've ever encountered. (laughs) I love you. Ian texts me at 1 a.m. Pastor, I really need to talk to you in the morning. It's important. I'm like, come on, can the church go 10 minutes without something happening? I wake up. I don't even rush. I'm like, I don't even care. I'm annoyed it's Sunday morning or whatever it's 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 Monday morning now or when at what day was it it was a Friday morning I don't even remember it's April Fool's Day to me it was just April 1st because I'm a good person and Ian says uh I get on the phone with him and he says last night when they paid me they gave me a lot of extra money I'm like you don't need to text me about that just tithe Just tithe and we're in good shape. You know, clean up the money. Tithe and the rest of it's yours. (laughs) He's like, then they gave me another envelope. They offered me a job for twice what I'm making now. Punk. Who has employees? Raise your hand if you have employees. Do you understand how awful this is? So right away, not being the minister of dark magic, but being Harry Potter in the analogy, I spring into action. I'm like, here's the thing. I am going to pastor him through this decision, and I'm not going, I'm not going to tell him what I think he should do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's going to own this decision. So I give him three pieces of advice. My wife is listening to this. Oh, I say to Jacqueline, you're going to, maybe you should bring Sophia to school today. This is going to be a long conversation. And she goes and sits in the living room and doesn't bring Sophia to school right away. And in my head, I'm like, woman? No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, bring her to school. Like, why are you sitting there? Like, I can't get off this call. This is our 2022. This is going to change the paradigm of Salem Tabernacle as we know it. Why is she just sitting there? And so I'm back to the conversation. Ian, number one, just know what your calling is. If your calling is to just do tech anywhere, that's fine. If your calling is to be at the church, that's fine. But first know your calling. And everybody should write this down if you ever have a job opportunity because this is good advice and it can't be wasted just because they were punking me. (laughs) Number two, decide what you want your work-life balance to be. Is the more pay worth the lack of flexibility and the long, arduous train ride every day to the city and how terrible that can be? (laughs) I didn't say that part, though. I didn't. Can you attest to the fact that I was crystal clear with my integrity on this? Thank you. Somebody said, yeah, right. What was the third one? Oh, yeah, and then decide if you like it better. And he's like, you know, me and Carrie are really, you know, we kind of know what we're going to do, but we still have to talk. This is a tough one. And in my head, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. A pandemic. My foot fell off, and they put it back on again, and now we're going to lose Ian. And I'm like, why aren't you bringing Sophia to school, Ian? (laughs) And then he's like, and and then he says this, and this is the analogy. This is why goodness can trip you up. Ian says, there's one more thing I need to tell you, which is something Ian always does to me when we're making big decisions. I I finally think I have clarity, and then he's like, oh, one more thing. It's going to cost $8.25 billion. And I'm like, why didn't you say that? He's like, I have one more thing April Fools. I look at my wife and I'm like, Is this you? And she says, It was me and your mom. Just wait somewhere between now and 2050 but the reason why it was believable is because of Ian's goodness that's why it was believable because sometimes goodness causes us to miss something obvious in Ian's case his unchristlike qualities in the case of the bible Jesus himself but goodness may be, when we're, when we're encountering real goodness, that may be our greatest temptation of all. Satan says to Jesus, make food. Jump off the temple so they save you. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. These are good things. He tempts us to use our goodness. The final temptation of Jesus is, if you really are who you are, save me from this cross. And Jesus has to be quiet and say, I'm saving you by it, not from it. But they use his goodness against him. So when Jesus meanders into Jerusalem on a donkey and not on a warhorse, when Jesus is weeping and not inflicting pain, when Jesus is dying and not fighting, we miss him because of his goodness. We're not used to seeing goodness operate the way it perfectly operates in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I feel the Spirit has really impressed upon us for today through next Sunday is there is goodness inside of each and every one of us that we're missing because we're not used to seeing it there. There's goodness in you that you are so convinced isn't there, and it's so good, and it's so in the right place that we've lost it. It's the most paradoxical reality. We don't expect to see a king on a cross, but that is exactly where a king should be, dying for the ones he's protecting. Why does he show up into Jerusalem on a donkey? Here's why. Because Jesus rides easily into your life we have ourselves convinced that we need to try harder, fast more, say more good things, try to muster up faith. How do I get faith? Just the size of a mustard seed. And we're breaking our brains, trying to muster up more when he's already there. He's already there. He rides easy. He rides so easy into our life. That we're still waiting for a king who's already arrived. Jesus is the presence of God. And what does the presence of God say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish you recognized your time of visitation. I'm here and you don't recognize me. The Holy of Holies is here. The true temple is here. The Ark of the Covenant is here. The bread that fell from heaven is here. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is here. And none of you know. Why? Because He rides so easy into our life that we're not used to something entering our life without violation. We're not used to something good happening without a transaction. How many of you said, man, it's been a good few weeks, something's going to happen soon? We're not used to goodness just being there for free. And we miss him. And he's already there. But because of that, we miss the goodness that God has placed so easily inside of each and every one of us. There's goodness in us that I want to talk about real fast. And I believe this journey through Holy Week is going to give us a chance to recover the goodness inside of each and every one of us. The last few years have placed rubble over the goodness that is in us. And Jesus is not moving the rocks trying to find you. He's under them with you. Join us on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because each of those services is a version of the presence of God that you don't want to miss. And it's easy to miss Because he's going to let you have it again next year. And then the year after that. And then the year after that, there will be another Easter. And there will be another Good Friday. And if you miss baptism this year, you can catch it next year. He's always going to let there be more opportunities that we miss all of them because we know another one's coming. We love saying you're the God of the 35th chance, but sometimes we need him to be the God of the 10,000th because we know there's another chance. I'll take care of it again soon. And because we know he's so good, we miss him. Jesus weeps when he gets to Jerusalem, and that's the beginning of baptism. The waters that flow from the eyes of Jesus are the sanctifying rivers of the Jordan that God is crying over us, not out of anger and wrath, but out of a desire to see us know the good that is inside of us. So what are three, just three of the thousands that we see in this text? This Holy Week, God is going to do some things for you, and I want you to be aware. It's awareness. Jesus is not a Ouija board. It's not a seance. He's already here. The issue, it's not him showing up. The issue is always, can we see goodness when goodness is where it should be? What is he going to bring us this Holy Week, starting today all the way through Easter, all the way to Good Friday? And I want everybody to know something about Good Friday. Good Friday, we're going to talk about desires that the cross heals. I'm going to be speaking Jacqueline is going to be speaking, and we will deal with the Hogwarts thing, so she'll be holy by the time she gets here. Jacqueline's going to be speaking. Elder Ron is going to be speaking. Elder George is going to be speaking. Elder Paul's going to be speaking, and Steve Saldana is going to be speaking on Good Friday. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be part of what it means to rededicate our life to the Lord, because the church needs to rededicate its life to the Lord. And we need to be aware of what he's bringing on by Easter. The first thing is this Holy Week, God will bring, and these are simple, God will bring new out of the old. He says to his disciples, go and find a donkey. And then he says, a colt, the foal of a donkey, on which no one has ever sat. This is so interesting that he says, there's going to be a baby donkey and a mommy donkey. Bring both of them. But I'm going to sit on the new one that's not broken in yet. Why? What is God saying? And please hear me. He's saying that there is an innocence in you that he wants to pull out this this Easter season. God is saying that there is is newness in you, new ideas, new thoughts, new visions, new hopes, new dreams, new ministry deep inside of you, and you're so focused on what's broken in that you can easily miss the new thing that he's doing. And so he says, have both of them come, but I want to sit on the one that's not broken in because I'm doing a new thing, but it's coming from the old. It's not in rejection of what was, but it's what what was is birthing into what is. And there's something in you that no one has seen yet. There's something in you that no one has spoken to you about. You know it's there. You feel it in your belly. You feel it in your spirit. You feel it in your bones. And no one has called it out yet. He's calling it out this Holy Week. New creativity. New ways of ministering to the lost, to others that you know is bubbling up inside of you. That He's calling out. It is not... It is what comes through the old that carries the glory of God to the cross. God's glory wants to ride on some of the new ideas that he's given you. But you have to know, you can can turn from what's so easy, from the path that's so trodden, from the way that has always worked, and you can walk down a new path. And it's not at the expense of the other one, it's from the other one. It's from the other one. It's a pregnancy. Steph, close your ears for a second. It's painful. And John, as men, we have it harder. (laughs) We have it harder. It's more painful for us. You know why? Because it's so tough to see something so priceless be in that much pain. Now what do you want to say? Everyone was getting on me for a second. But something new bursts out of something old. And we, it's, it wasn't a comeback. It was planned from the beginning. <laughs> I will take a compliment from Essie Green any day of the week. Because you're the one I was scared of if it didn't go well. It's in you. And God wants to reveal it. And he wants his glory to envelop it. And he wants it to be part of what carries the glory of God. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison in a concentration camp, his wife wrote to him. And she had just experienced Easter, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday. She experienced all the services. And in their culture, those services were the same every single year. And she's writing to him about them. And she's stuck because she's writing about something that he knows in the back of his mind by heart. And here's what she says. This isn't the third sheet I've written you. It's the sixth. I kept trying to tell you about Easter, about Maundy Thursday Mass, and the celebration of the hour of Christ's death on Good Friday, about the sermon on the descent into hell, and finally about Easter Eve. But I simply couldn't. I found the whole thing strange and fundamentally incomprehensible, as you can tell. But I did, for all that, sense the existence of some immense other force. And it frightens me because it's so new and great and unfathomable. She's writing to him saying, it's so easy, it should be so easy for me to tell you what happened. And by the way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my husband, you're one of the greatest theologians who's ever lived or died. Surely you know. But every time I try to write to you about what I've always known, something is gripping my heart and my pen because something new is happening inside of what is old. And it's incomprehensible to me. We know that God is not the author of confusion. There's a kind of confusion that makes you not know yourself and not know God. But there's another kind of confusion that says, how could this be so good? I'm bewildered by what is happening in me. Salem, God has that experience for you. And this Holy Week, this is not something God is just going to hand. He, when we journey with Him, as Jesus realizes His full calling to the cross, we realize who we actually are as people. The second thing, this Holy Week, God will bring joy out of the callous. He'll bring joy out of the callous. What does Jesus say at the end? He says, if they stop praising me, what's going to praise me? The rocks are going to praise me. What, this, this idea of a rock is so unbelievable in Luke's gospel because in the beginning, Jesus is tempted to turn stone into... And then later on, Peter says, look at the stones of the temple. Aren't they so beautiful? And Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be thrown down. What does David put in his slingshot? See, here's the thing. Here's the second thing that God wants to do. We are used to being consumed. Satan wanted rocks to be consumed. He wanted Jesus to turn stone into bread so he can consume it. Some of us are used to just being consumed. It feels like everything we do, everything we give, every minute we're awake, every bit of our to-do list, it's just us getting consumed. But what about me? And that is not a selfish thought. It's frightening when it feels like everything we're doing is just taking away from me. And you know what? When I'm done, my family might have good, my church might have good, but I'm going to lose myself. And he's saying, I'm going to bring joy out of that callousness because I don't consume you like the devil wanted me to consume that stone. I make praise come out of it. I make songs come out of it. I make music come out of it. Peter said, look at how beautiful the stones are. And Jesus said, I'm throwing them all down because some of us feel like we're consumed and some of us feel objectified. We feel like we're only here to look good for other people. And people celebrate how good we are or how good we look or how excellent we did something. But there's a point where some of us in the room feel like, you know what, my actions are being celebrated, but I'm not. And we feel objectified. Maybe in a relationship, you're actually being objectified, treated like an object. And Jesus is saying, I throw down objectification. Not one stone of that will be left upon another because I didn't make stones to become objects. I made them for music to come out of them. I made them for praise to come out of them. He's going to do that this Holy Week. He is going to make praise and melody come out of the callous hardness that seems to have enshrouded itself over some of our lives. He's going to make song. He's going to make, and so many of us want me to say practical things that he's going to do. This, none of this week is practical at all. None of it is. If I ever say, here's the plan, Salem, we're going to overcome the world by me getting murdered. Somebody please stop me immediately. This is not This is not a practical plan. None of Holy Week is practical at all. The death of God is not practical. God doing absolutely nothing on Holy Saturday is not practical. And coming forth from the dead is not practical. It's all mystical. It's all Pentecostal. It's all crazy. It's not practical. So I'm going to speak in these terms of God wanting to make music out of the callousness because sometimes that analogy, sometimes that prophetic artwork of saying it that way, sometimes that's what we'll actually understand God is going to make melody out of the areas of your life that you feel have calcified. That nothing can flow through anymore. That nothing can happen through. Worship is going to happen through it. Praise is going to happen through it. Life is going to happen through it. Some of us are used to being consumed. Some of us are used to being objectified. And some of us are used to being slung around like the stone in David's sling. Thrown at things. Violently tossed into the world. Violently tossed into a situation. Violently tossed into a relationship. Violently tossed out of a relationship. We feel thrown at people. And we feel people throwing at us. And Jesus is saying, I didn't make stones to become bread. I didn't make stones to be objectified. And I didn't make stones to be flung. I made them for praise. And by the way, I am the corner that is rejected that everything else is built upon. So if you feel consumed, if you feel objectified, and if you feel that you're just being spun in circles and then thrown, he's going to heal that and he's going to bring music out of that for you. But he wants us to approach him. Notice in the, in the reading this morning, uh, in the psalm, it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. Everybody say gates. Open to me the gates, plural, of righteousness. And then David says, this is the gate of righteousness. Notice those two, the plural and the singular. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness. And then he says, this is the gate. See, Jesus is the gate of righteousness. And then we become the gates of righteousness. Our life opens and the love of God and the Holy Spirit flows freely through, out of and back into our life like like a stent put into a vein that pops it open and the blood can finally flow again. That's what he wants for us this Holy Week. He wants to put air into our life so that things can flow, so that we can see the gate of righteousness and become gates of righteousness for others. And finally, he's going to bring new out of the old. Something is stirring in you, and you know it, and so does he. He's going to bring joy out of what's hardened, and he's going to bring love out of the rebuke. He's going to bring love out of the rebuke. We always say... That God wants us to love our enemies. And that's true. Even when they perform April Fool's jokes on you and take advantage of your goodness. Where is she? Oh, there she is back there. Hi, hon. But sometimes the hardest enemy to love is our own rebuking voice over our own self. You know it's true. Sometimes the worst enemy is when you become the enemy of your own self. And we're afraid in some of our church tribes of saying that we need to learn how to love ourselves because that's arrogant. No, it's not. Doing what Jesus does is holy. It's not arrogant. And Jesus loves me and I need to learn to love me too. He's going to bring love out of the rebuke. I have heard so many Palm Sunday sermons. And what made me laugh this morning, I was, I was out for a walk this morning, and I thought about the typical Palm Sunday sermon is they were shouting Hosanna on Sunday, and then they were shouting crucify Him on Friday. They were worshiping Him, but they had no idea that they were going to shout crucify Him. <clears throat> and it's a rebuke of the people. And I had a good laugh. Because, Tim, the Pharisees say, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I'm not going to rebuke them. And 90% of our sermons are rebuking them. We're preaching, oh, they shouted one thing on Sunday and they shouted, crucify him on Friday. But Jesus isn't joining that rebuke. He accepts their praise. He knows what they're going to say on Friday, He knows what they're going to say on Friday. And he yet defends their praise when the Pharisees say, rebuke them. Salem, I'm going to say that again. He knows what they're going to say on Friday. And he doesn't say, why are you saying this today, knowing what you're going to say on Friday? He says, this is the best they can do, and I love it because they're children. Children sing songs that they don't know the meaning to. two children were twirling here this morning. Jacqueline showed me a picture of Bill Bernasconi and somebody else, I I couldn't recognize the person in the picture, twirling about 15, 20 years ago in that exact same spot. They were dancing together right here during a worship service and 20, 30 years later, two children are in the same spot. But here's the thing, they don't know. The significance of that. They don't know how many people have danced their way out of trial and tribulation on that exact spot, on that exact part of the altar. They have no idea how many moms put their face down and wept over their children. They have no idea how many people have been called into the ministry. They have no idea how many people have been married there. They have no idea how many lives changed, how people fought and wrestled through what they don't understand. They have no idea about those things. They have no idea that they're going to reject the one that they're dancing over for a little while. They're going to say no to him sometimes. And he's not saying, why are you dancing now? He knows they're children. And he's saying yes to everything they give him. And he wants us to become just like them. Sing your Palm Sunday song. We're going to say crucify him on Friday, but it's not Friday yet. It's Sunday. And we need to learn to silence the voice that says, oh, you're worshiping him now, but I know what you're going to do tomorrow. Good. So do I, but I'm worshiping him now. I'm getting it right now. Well, you're going to get it wrong, probably, but I'm getting it right now. Listen to me, Salem. There is no grace in thoughts birthed from anticipation. Literally, write down that. Write that down. There is no grace in thoughts birthed from anticipation. I'm so nervous. This might happen. We might run out of money. I might get sick. There might be a car accident. He might leave me. She might leave me. I don't know. Um, my kids are young, but I don't know how they're going to be when they get older. There's no grace in anticipatory thoughts. But there's grace when you finally experience those thoughts. When you experience the thing that even the, even the things that you're dreading, when you experience them, there's grace in the experience, but never in the forethought. That's why we have anxiety, because we're imagining things that we don't have grace for yet. But if they ever happen, you'd have all the grace you need. That voice rises up inside of us and tries to get us to miss the moment because tomorrow might be wrong. It tries to get us to miss the manna for today because there might not be manna tomorrow. It gets us to think if I pour out the rest of the oil in this jar, there might not be any left because it has us thinking three jars down. But Jesus is saying you will always have what you need today. You will always have what you need today, and whatever you don't have, grace will fill the space of what you don't have, and it will be a testimony. Either way, I'm calling up the full and the empty, and I'm going to use it for my glory, and there's a voice in us that says, you're not good enough to worship. You're not right to do that. You're not going to be a good parent. You weren't a good parent. You can't go back and change how bad of a parent you've been. That voice is the enemy we need to learn to love into friendship. You've heard me stand here for years, some of you. It's years now. It's about to be five years, Salem. Good for you. I wouldn't have stayed this long with me as the pastor, but hey. You've heard me say, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine. And you've heard me say that what he wants is for us to invite our enemies to sit down so that they become friends. Why? Because this is the judgment of God. The judgment of God, when it lands on our life, is going to justify us, and that that judgment, that love, can come out of us onto our enemies, and it can turn even a ruthless enemy into a friend. But He also wants us to love that enemy when that enemy is us. Some of you have your worst enemy, is your voice in your own head. Because your voice knows more about you than any enemy could. You know more about you than Satan knows about you. We give him way too much credit when we talk about him. You know you so well. And when we turn against our own self, we're the ones saying, Yeah, right, I'm worshiping you on Palm Sunday, but I'm going to say crucify him on Friday. So what's the point of worshiping him now? I want that voice. The Holy Spirit wants that voice to go from enemy to friend. You don't have to lose yourself. That enemy in you can be healed. That enemy in you can be made whole. You don't need to sit under the tyranny of a voice telling you you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You're not making people happy enough. You're not serving enough. There's enemies telling us be home with your children. And then you say, well, now I'm selling out to just some cultural trend being home with my children. So I'm going to go get a job. And then you get a job and it's saying, see, you're not home with your children. On and on and on it goes for everybody, men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. We all have our thing where the voice says this on Monday and then we buy into it. And then it says this on Tuesday and we buy into it. And then it says this on Wednesday and we're like a ping pong ball. God wants love, that rebuke to turn into love. He wants you to be pleased with yourself because he's only ever pleased with you. He's only ever pleased with you. He's only ever pleased with you. He disciplines the ones whom he, because he's pleased with you. That's healing. I've, I'm a little bit down the road now in that healing, and I can tell you it's wonderful. It's wonderful when you know that you're going to get things wrong, and God is going to be as God in your life when you get it right than when you get it wrong. He's going to be as Father in heaven when you get it right as when you get it wrong. He's going to be as for you. See, these things don't excite us anymore because we've heard them too much. Why? Because the goodness of it, we've missed it. We've heard it our whole life. People are saying what I'm saying in Sunday school. We've grown up. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say a lot more. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say one more thing that has a lot of parts. I've seen my son know me in ways that he doesn't know other people. He's just turned six months. When I hold him, he reacts different. His eyes change. When I, I was away for about four or five days, and when I came back, he wo- when I came home, he was in his crib, and when he woke up, I went in. And I slowly put my head over the bar of the crib, and he smiles, and then he goes, <gasps> because I hadn't been home for four days. He knows me. Listen to me. That infant has a personal relationship with me. Because, listen to me, and don't let the controversy of this get into your head, just listen to me. Infants can only have a personal relationship. As we get older, the world pulls us away from personal relationship, and we have to keep trying to choice ourselves back into it. But when we were infants, we only had a yes. That's why they're so fragile. That's why they're so vulnerable. That's why they can be so easily taken advantage of because all a young infant will ever say is yes. Pick them up. Yes. Here's a binky. Yes. I won't say more things. Yes. As they get older, they learn to say no. We glorify choice, but the only reason we need to make choices is because we've lost the Yes. When they're young, when they're infant, when they're when they when they can't think like we can think, all they can say is yes. Because it's pure. They're not defiled yet. They're not, they don't have other ideas. They don't they don't have perversions to the versions, they just have the versions. They're holy. It says in 1 Corinthians 7 that if the husband isn't holy, the husband's made holy by the wife. Why? Because the children are always holy. Always. There's no question. The husband might not be holy. The wife is holy. So the, hu- the wife has to make the husband holy or the husband has to make the wife holy. But the, he says it in 1 Corinthians 7. Read it yourself. Because the children are always holy. He wants to bring us back to childlike trust in him. That's just a yes not even a debated yes, or a pondered yes, or a deliberating yes. A yes to him, and a yes to yourself, because he, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he hasn't forgotten the child he holds in his arms, even though we've adulted so much, we've gotten all corrupt, but he hasn't forgotten you in the crib, and that's not an insult. He's saying, I will always always see that yes. And I want you to see it. I want you to recover it. I want you to know your own value. We see Peter cutting off Malchus's ear in the garden in a few days. And because Malchus is rising up against Jesus. But guess what? Malchus is, is he is the son of the, he is a servant of the high priest. Raise your hand if you're a servant of the high priest. We're all Malchus. But also, raise your hand if you're part of the church. We are all Peter. So is it possible that in one mystical, crazy level, the battle between Peter and Malchus is really the battle against me and me? I want to love him, but then I see the part of me that rises up against him, and I fight myself, and I cut my own ear off. And what does Jesus say? There's two men in you fighting. I want to harmonize this and unite it back to one voice, mine put your sword away. Stop trying to make yourself better. And when you can't make yourself better, stop chopping yourself up. I want to bring love where there was rebuke, your own rebuke over your own self. I want to turn it into love. Salem, let's stand to our feet. John, come on up here. I feel this moment. I feel this moment but I don't want to have, I really want to have, but I'm not going to have, we're not going to have an altar call because the altar call is the whole entire journey of Holy Week. It's not about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the first step to newness of life. Palm Sunday is the first step to the resurrection. Palm Sunday is the first step toward going through things we don't understand, but ending with holiness and healing. So we'll just do this for now. Because I really want you here on Good Friday, because I really want us to have a moment on Saturday night, the night before Easter, where we come to the altar and open ourselves up, open these spaces up to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to revitalize, to bring joy where there's callousness, to bring love where there's rebuke, to bring newness when there's nothing but just trodden down path that nothing can grow on anymore. I want us to have this moment. I want the leaders to lay hands on you. I want the elders to lay hands on me on Saturday night. I want us all to be on this journey. So let's just close our eyes for a moment before we come to the table because I hope this just opened up what God wants to do this entire week. And we come with an ear to hear on Friday night. We come ready to rededicate our life to the Lord on Saturday. And then we come and celebrate the love of God on Sunday. Oh, it's going to be work and you're going to be tired. And it's going to be annoying. Just ask John and Steph to be here for all three services and they were so excited they have nothing else going on at all no newness of life about to show up but they're going to be here they're going to be here because jesus was tired this weekend too this is about healing this is about restoration this is about revival of the soul every single one of us needs it. If you're watching online, you need it. I need it. We all need something to heal. We all need newness to come out of the trodden down. We all need joy to come out of the callous. We all need to be able to love who we are and join God in loving who we are. If that last part touched your heart and you're saying, I don't even know where to begin, but I know that's me, would you just raise your hand? Holy Spirit, you see every hand raised across this room. And I just pray right now that you would begin a good work. Teach us how to love ourselves. We're so good at hearing in a sermon of exhortation, What we're not great at hearing How much you love us. I pray that you would open up space this week as we journey to Good Friday. I just pray that you would open space for us to feel the fatherly and motherly care that you have over us. You said that you long to be like a hen brooding over her babies. You love us with fatherly and motherly care in ways that go so beyond our ability. And so I pray that that would begin right now as we get ready to come to your table, that that healing would begin. I pray that it would speed up. I pray that it would be in its fullness this coming weekend. But I pray that it would begin now that we would know that we're allowed to love ourselves. that we're allowed to appreciate who we are, that we're allowed to enjoy your enjoyment over our life. And when that voice when Malchus rises up in us, I pray that we wouldn't chop them down, but that you would invite our best self and our worst self to a table so that they can meet and reconcile and become friends again. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took bread. And you loved yourself. Because you knew the Father loved you. And so you never questioned who you were on this night of horrors and betrayal and death. But you were secure in the Father's love for you. You still are secure in the Father's love for you. And you've given us the Holy Spirit, which is your security in the Father's love for you. And the Holy Spirit has been breathed out on us so that we can be secure with you, Jesus, in the love the Father has for us. Oh, holy, blessed Trinity, may we enter that dance. May we enter that dance. Somebody said to me yesterday on the phone, Pastor... This is the first time I was able to journey through Lent and even look at where I need to repent and not be afraid of God. I want that for everybody in this room. I want us to be able to open up our life to the Father and not be ashamed. To throw our clothes down on the road and let Him be our covering. In your security you were able to say this is my body which is broken for you and I'm inviting you to the table you who are breaking my body I'm inviting you to this table and I'm inviting you to the table anytime you want to come as often as you would like you come to this table and when you taste this bread you'll remember me that I love you on your worst night. I love you when the sun has gone down on you. I love you when you're rejecting me, when you're betraying me, when you're denying me. I will still call you friend. The world will want you punished, but I will call you friend. The world would want me to send you to hell, but I'm going there to get you. I'm going there to rescue you. I'm going there because my love has no limits and knows no bounds, because that's how much I care about you. And after he enjoyed supper with us, he took the cup of wine and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is something new bursting forth from something old. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Because I know you're saying Hosanna on Sunday, and I know you're going to say crucify him on Friday, but I've already sent my blood ahead and is already forgiving what you're going to do. You can't get away from me, Salem. As often as you want to, come to the table and remember me. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this simple meal and make this bread the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also, that we may know that we're forgiven of our sins, strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit, and held for eternal life by Christ. And I pray that this week you would remind us of the mighty acts of God done on our behalf so that we can get up and learn to love who we are and to love you more and to love our neighbor as ourself and to not police ourselves or police other people, but invite them into this Trinitarian love that we're experiencing. And I pray that it would be more real and more visceral and more true and more tangible than any other year we've had. That by the time we leave here on Sunday, we will be able to embrace ourself and the world around us in ways that bring healing and restoration and wholeness. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. As the worship team comes, you're more than welcome to come and receive the bread. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, the ushers will have communion for you. But would you just let the worship team sing over you, hear the Holy Spirit sing over you, and come feed on the one who loves your soul this morning?